And we are live. I am here with the Sean Mulligan on episode number 27. Sean, how are you? I'm good, coach. What's up, man? So uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. About a week ago or two weeks ago, we had your brother on, uh, the legendary Rob Mulligan. There, there was a request to get the infamous Sean Mulligan on. So we have you on, and I, I want to bring it back immediately to 2011, the tough man with the, uh, the chain pull heard round the world. Oh, so gosh. are you emotionally prepared to let me guide you through the story? I think there's been enough time in between, so I think we can talk about this. Okay, so uh, just so everybody knows, the I'm going to start with the end. So the winner of the 2011 Tough Man was Teddy Colhesi. He finished in 3 minutes and 28 seconds. And coming in third place was Sean Mulligan, who finished in 3 minutes and 37 seconds. So that's a, a nine-second difference, if, if I'm correct with my math. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, just to remind you of the scenario and people listening on the, on the, the line – this is not like the current Tough Man where there are five events where there's no break in between. In 2011, there were four events, four individually timed events, and then whoever had the lowest cumulative time was the winner. So, Sean, uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the events was a 50-yard slider, and you came in first place out of everyone. Is that yes, correct? That is, that is correct. So you, you beat – there was 18 competitors, and you, you were number one of all the 18. Just you flying had, on those things, yeah. You got 35 seconds. And to put it in a relative perspective, the person uh, – some people got 84 seconds. So you you less – you more than uh, half their time. Yeah, crushed then, that one. <laughs> then we had a Prowler shuttle where you came in second out of 18 people, and one of them actually got TQ'd because they took so long. So you, you crushed that one too. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, – that one felt event. good, by the way, crushing that one. That was that was nice. And just just, people don't know, uh, you know, a hundred yard prowler shuttle is in increments of twenty five yards. There's people legitimately puking. We had to move the drill because too many people were puking in the drill. And, and Sean Mulligan <laughs> completely dominates this thing. So then we get to this two hundred and twenty five pound sled race. I, I'm going to paint the picture of what it is, and then you're going to tell people what happened. So in the two hundred and twenty five pound sled sled race, there are two hundred and twenty five pounds on a sled. There are two chains along the clip. You will grab both of those chains and reverse. You'll be basically backpedal or drag that sled about 25 yards. At the 25-yard at the mark, you take one of the chains off, you clip it to the other end of the chain, and then you now pull the chain. So you, it's kind of a little like hand dexterity in this thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you crush the first part. You get to the part where you're sitting on the, the bucket and you're pulling, and then uh, tell us what happens here. Well, I just want to start off by saying 2011 Tough Man was the best just hardest one you've ever done just to put it out there bunch of savages is going at it so that was you know you haven't it hasn't been one like that since then um all right so back to the the sled uh you know sled drag sled pull um you know i guess i just kind of very good at preparing uh movements you know like i know exactly what we're doing and just like practicing it and we'd had a few practice sessions beforehand that we you know doing this stuff and i felt really confident doing it like um but I guess like the little things, I don't even think about that. You know, it's the hand dexterity, as you said, like just taking a, a chain off and putting it, you know, attaching it to the other chain while you're tired, while you're breathing heavy, just didn't even cross my mind. That could actually be, uh, you know, a problem. So I guess that was a little a chink in the armor right there. Just like overthinking a little tiny thing. And so like, you know, I, I don't know how long it took, 
Um, but I know that like, while I was doing it, you get that little like kind of slide, uh, your head tilt to the side and you're like, this is taking a long time, like thoughts going through your head. Um, and I think you even wrote an article about it where it was at least a good 10 seconds for me to get this, this stupid chain off to the other chain. And if you do the math, that's the difference between winning and losing right there. Uh, 100%. So we had, we captured it at the time we had, uh, you know, people filming this for us and we captured you and you kind of drop the chain, you pick it back up, you drop the chain, you pick it back up. And Kohesi ended up beating you by 17 seconds in that event. You got 51 seconds, he got 34 seconds. And if you go back to it again, you, you came in second on the 100-yard prowl shuttle. You came in first on the 50-yard sliders. You were only about nine seconds off from him on the sandbags of death, which we could talk about at a later time. But, yeah, that was it. Like a literal not drop the chain one of those few times or two of those times, you beat Kohesi. Because it just takes time to pick it back up and get that momentum going over again, and you end this guy's reign of terror. And it starts getting your head a little bit, you know, the first fumble, like, all right, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta hurry up. I gotta hurry up here. I gotta put this thing on. Yeah. So it just kind of snowballed, like, just not good. So just don't drop the chain. And, and back to your point about the tough man, that tough man had 18 people. Five of them did not finish. One was DQ'd, as I mentioned before, because I can't <laughs> have somebody, uh, yeah, I can't have a very bad end of their of their life during this this event on my hands. And four of them just flat out quit. One of them being the great Rob Mulligan, who is obviously your brother. Yeah, Rob had a tap out. And, and I believe the next year he came back and finished in second. So I, that sounds about right. <laughs> and I want to link this back to you because 2011, you had despite the the chain pull, you come in third and and you killed the event. But mm-hmm. in 2010. You came in dead last in the tough men. So what made you get so much better between 2010 and 2011? Um, so I'm sure we'll get into this a little later, but kind of 2010, I'm coming off a really long road to recovery from a slew of knee injuries. Um, so, you know, at that point, I finally, you know, cleared healthy again to, to start, you know, you know, training. Um, and mentally, I was like in a great spot, but physically, I would say just my strength, just because of everything I've been through, wasn't there. Uh, especially, you know, on that prowler where you just need just just leg strength pumping. Um, I didn't have that raw strength at the time. Like it just, it, it's not really my doing. Just bad bad luck, and that's what happened. So, you know, you get to that prowler. I remember I just got crushed on that prowler in 2010. Just you know, my legs are jelly. I can't even push it. Like. It's bad, and then 2011, I'm motivated. I, I'm I'm fully healthy. I'm you know going to my senior year of college, and I'm just ready to go. Just just you know pumping out the weights. My legs are strong again. So I took it as like a mental you know challenge right there, physical mental challenge. That that prowler, I'm gonna own it. Like I'm gonna own it to this year. Like there's no way anything stopping me. And you know, I I think I did that. So I was pretty happy about that. Now between 2010 and 2011. Is that when your brother had bought a prowler and you guys were doing it in the street? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly the timeline. But it probably lines up. Maybe that's why I got a little better. But yeah, Rob, uh, Rob had you know obviously inspired by you and your tough man uh, had to go out and get his own prowler because he just you know has to practice these things. Um, and you know we, you are a big fan of the prowler. Uh, it just sucks the life out of you, but it's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he ended up purging his own as, as he talked about with you. And, um, 
he just we you know we don't have a field we didn't have a field by us you know sometimes you just want to stay at home and we get a workout in so we would bring it out to the street you know and yeah i'm kind of like laid back like he's going always down for for whatever so he's like oh let's <laughs> let's you know let's do this parallel the street I'm like, oh let's go it's fine uh so we go we got the street and i don't think anything of it you know it's just like yeah it was working out and yeah, we go. We're pushing up our 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 street on Sinclair Avenue, like up the up the hill, and just metal grinding on the street, uh, you know, clanging around. Um, and it is, as you said, a lot harder to push on the street than it is in the field. So um, it probably did help me in respect uh, to get back on the turf and push that thing. We're just moving like butter. Uh, but yeah, we just you know, I'm sure the neighbors were kind of like, "What are these guys doing out here?" <laughs> did Did you ever push it with uh? I guess the current Mrs. Mulligan, Rob's wife. Uh, yeah, we we have. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she she's been there for a few prowler pushes, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure she's a fan of it now too. This is uh great. Yeah, uh, it's it's great to see the Mulligan family pushing a prowler up and down Sinclair Avenue. And and what what is it? He had given us his perspective on why it's harder on gravel or pavement. What 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 is yours? Why is it harder than on turf? Um, well, yeah, obviously we had a little of a hill there, so that, you know, did not help. Um, but yeah, I guess just the frick, there's more friction there. Like it wasn't, I guess everything's equal on the, uh, on the turf, you know, everything's pretty much uniform straight, straight through while on the street, you know, you got gravel, you're pushing on some rocks, I guess <laughs> you, never, you never know. Uh, so it, it did, you know, it was tougher on the street. My first time ever pushing a prowler was at DeFranco's. And it was on, obviously, on pavement behind his gym. And I just felt like I had no control. I, I felt like even when I stopped, that thing was going to slide like 30 or 30 more yards after I was finished. And that's big time. That's, that's big time to make up as you make that turn, especially in the shuttle that you guys are doing. I almost want to put this and, and see, uh, not to scare my neighbors to death, but to just see what it feels like on pavement versus doing it on a on the turf i mean yeah if you ever want to try it out in front of your house or go back to the mulligan house for for some uh prowler pushing i'm always down I, i'm smelling a christmas morning event get, <laughs> get your gifts ready and then we're going to go prowl yeah. up and down the block that sounds so, good to so me. you mentioned you're coming back from a series of knee, knee injuries so what talk me through the first one is it while you're playing football that the first injury occurs Okay, yeah. So let me just paint the picture. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a freshman at Muhlenberg College, um, 2008. You know, so going in, um, I'm kind of an undersized tight end at the time. You know, and, and uh, so, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about the future at that point. Like, you know, I'm getting, you know, learning as much as I can as my freshman year. Um, you know, just trying to basically learn and then get to the off season where I'm just gonna go off. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna uh, lift. I'm gonna run. Just put everything in to get better because I'm just like I'm you know I'm smaller they actually recruited two other tight ends with me that were just straight up monsters like I'm talking like six five one of them you know 240 pounds the other one's like six two like you know 220 I was like all right like you know I just I gotta put some work in that's good um so we're you know in my freshman year it's uh week the second to last week of the season and can, and, can I stop you for yeah, one second sure. because this I, you're hitting on something that's actually making the hair on the back of my neck stand up first of all you're you were a great high school football player who goes to a I, at the time were they a championship football team or did that happened while yeah I mean uh, they were previous year they were undefeated uh, first time uh, ever in program history all right so you're you're going on to an undefeated 
college championship football team. You know, Bermuda's you... number four in the nation right now. And they are undefeated. So just letting you they're know. Undefeated. Wow, they're undefeated. Number, ranked number four up. right now in the nation. So you are humble enough to know, look, I'm an undersized tight end. And eager enough to realize I'm going to learn and how you and also smart enough to know how important the weight room is to getting back onto that football field the next year. And I think a lot of high school kids, they don't get it. They'll just quit. Like, ah, I'm not exactly, starting yeah. as a freshman. I'm out of here. Yeah. I mean, that's so, exactly what's going through my mind at that time. How did you have that kind of maturity as you know, most high school kids don't? I don't, I don't know. I feel like, uh, just really good like role models in, in high school. Um, just, you know, just driving those points home. Like, you know, it's not going to be easy. You just got to put the work in, um, you know, just show up, you know, these kind of things just always were in my head, you know, Craig Manos, uh, you coach, like uh, it's not going to be easy, but you know, it's not, it's not for everyone. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So kind of wanted to, you know, be different. That is awesome. I love it. All right. So let's get back. Sorry. I cut you off. Oh right, yeah, so um, so yeah, Muhlenberg, we're we're good. Uh, you know, at, at, and at this time, two thousand eight, we are undefeated right now. Uh, it's the second and last week of the season, and we're going for back to back undefeated seasons, um, and we're smoking everyone. It's not even close. Like we're really good, um, and so we're in practice. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like the coaches. You know, sometimes I guess they just make up some some drama just to get it going. Like, you know, this team is really good, but they can't be get too complacent here. Right. So um, head coach starts, you know, going off about how like, you know, nitpicking things about the special teams last week, and, you know, they're loafing around or someone that something like that. So looking for some changes. Um, and he starts getting animated, gets all riled up about this, you know, kickoff team. And then all the coaches are joining in. And so it's just getting kind of like a, a crazy atmosphere right now. Um, and you know, as, as the freshman right now, we're doing a kickoff drill and they need some bag holders. I'm the freshman and you know, I step up, whatever. Like, I know that I'm not, you know, I'm not a star player right now, so I'm going to do that. Um, and so the drill that we do, and, um, it's kind of a kickoff drill where we're simulating invading the first blocker and then engaging the second blocker. Um, you know, what you will do on kickoff. Um, and I'm the blocker, I'm, I'm with the bag as the second blocker, right? And right. in theory, in theory, it's a good drill. Um, in theory, you know, maybe it's more of like a, a practice. It's good drill, but with the atmosphere and the way they get everyone riled up, the guys on kickoff are like just like you know they're they're chomping at the bit right now. Uh, uh, it's in practice terrible drill. Okay, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bag holder, and you know I see basically this jacked up 225 pound linebacker coming at me with a good 20 yards of full speed, right? And I'm just sitting there like a, like a, you know, sitting duck. And I'm like, you know what? Screw this. Like, I'm not going to get embarrassed right here. I'm going to like hold my ground and, you know, whatever. And, with, you know, it's stupid, honestly. Like I should have, you know, just took the hit, you know, as best I could, but just get jacked up and, you know, swallow my pride for a second. So I put my leg in the ground. I'm playing. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to get jacked up here. And I take the hit. He's just runs right through me. I, I'd never seen it on film, but it probably was pretty gruesome. Um, I just bend backwards and my knee snaps, like not snaps, but I mean like, uh, shifts. So just basically tear all the good ligaments in my knee, my left knee, uh, ACL, MCL, meniscus right there. Um, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> so you tore all three. Yeah. Right there. 
Wow. So if people don't know, and, and maybe they're not like uh, kickoff aficionados, and, and I'll, at least I'll give my high school and college experience. You tell me if I'm wrong. But the way the way these things work is you, you don't want to hit the first guy you see on kickoff. You're supposed to avoid them. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. your drill is some guy runs. He avoids a person. He gets yep. back in his lane, and yep. now he's got a full head of speed. Speed on a guy that he's supposed to basically butt up and then find where the running or the, the returner is and then shed him and make a tackle. But you're saying this guy came in, forget about the tackle. He's just trying to drill you standing yeah, there with a bang. Exactly. He's just trying to like prove, like make a point to the coaches that he's, you know, one of these guys that just got to, you know, buy into what they're doing right now. And that's that they wanted someone to like lay a hit basically. And, you know, it's not just me there. It's like five of us in a row doing this. So uh, I was just the unfortunate one, I guess, in that, in that line. Um, that that happened, but that's exactly the drill that you know they were going for, and what happened. All right, so so talk me through. This happens. It's the end of your. It's, I'm assuming it's around December when this happens. Uh yeah, it's in November. I think it was like a maybe a week before Thanksgiving or so. Yeah, because they're they're done with their season now, and it's and Thanksgiving is coming up. So you know, about like two weeks ago from a little real time right now. Um, and I'll never forget this because it's uh yeah. For you historians out there, the date was November fourth, two thousand eight. So, election day. That's when Obama was elected. So, I'll just never forget that. <laughs> that. That was the day that you know my life kind of changed forever. <laughs> uh, yes. All right. <laughs> I was wondering. I didn't know where you're going with what the actual date was until you said November fourth. All right. So, t- now we're gonna fast forward. It's the summer of that next year. November mm-hmm. passes. December passes. We're in the summer. We're at Bloomingdale Park for the entire time I'm training you. Me and you are in this kind of back and forth debate over when you should go full bore. We're mm-hmm. getting, you know, can I get letter, a handwritten letter from your doctor? Uh, we're doing something that we don't normally do at Bloomingdale Park. It's some comb drills, mm-hmm. change of direction stuff. We do a lot of starting and stopping, but we very seldom did like oldie school cone drills. So now we're doing a cone drill. Tell me what happens. Yeah, so you know, I had surgery in uh, in December. So you know, the protocol was six months out. You're cleared for you know full contact. You know, at this point, I'm not playing football right now and waiting until you know I'll go back to August. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm cleared to to do anything to to run to cut. Um, so you're blooming down, making some cut drills. Um, you know, I remember just basically running on you know breaking down, make a little trying to plant off my left foot, and poof, I feel that shift again in my left knee, and I just go down like oh no. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I knew that that's not good. Um, that's just, that's not right. Like that's, that's my ACL. I'm pretty sure right there again. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know, just getting up and like, just being super like, um, this is not good. You know, I remember like limping back to my car, going home. Um, but yeah, it, it turned out that, that, you know, I tore, I basically retorted again, but yeah, it's more complicated than that where I'm pretty sure that, um, it was a kind of a, a botched up surgery almost um, for the original ACL. And, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but, um, you know, there's good dabber grafts where, you know, they take a, the ligament from a dead person and they put it into your body as the ACL graft. Um, but they really don't recommend that for a, you know, a young athlete as such as I was then. Um, but, you know, at the time, the doctor I was seeing really didn't tell us there were other options. Um, so that kind of stunk where I didn't really know much about what was going on. You know, I'm an 18 year old kid. My dad, even though he was, you know, talking to the doctor. Um, so for us, we are supposed to kind of get your own 
uh, graft from your own tendon, like your hamstring or patella tendon. That's the way to go. This doc I was going to just, just was like, oh, yeah, we do cadaver grafts and that's it. Um, so when they actually looked at it, it was just a mush ball of an ACL. And even when you tear, it's not supposed to look like that. So there's something went wrong. And, you know, I was, but, uh, you know, I was cleared at the time to do it. So, like, you know, it's no one's fault for, you know, training wise, but something went wrong medically for, for my ACL to do that again. And well, on the, oh, I have so many questions. I'll start with this one. <laughs> what did they do when you had your second surgery? Did they take, I say, ligaments from, from you or did they go with another cadaver? What did they do? Yeah. So, you know, um, basically that just kind of lightened up my, my dad to the situation. And he, you know, did ridiculous amount of research. Um, and we went to a doctor in Manhattan. Um, he's like the Rangers, like doctor at the time or some or like the Mets doctor, you know, it's like big time doctor. Um, and yeah. And you know, he was like, Oh yeah, we recommend, you know, using your own graph. You're a young guy. You're, you're going to play sports, you know, for a long time after this, it's just stronger and your body will accept it better. So he ended up taking, uh, you know, a graph from uh, my, my own patella tendon. And are you thinking I'm never going to play football again this, the, after the surgery, if this is going to happen again, or what's going through your mind? Oh yeah. When I, when I tore it and yeah, I, the next day my knee just ballooned up. I'm just thinking like, yeah, it's not good. Like I, you know, I'm just, I'm a mess. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's it. Like that's it for, for playing. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen next, but you know, I can't play football anymore. Like, and he's done. And I'm just sure you, you did all this work to get back to where you were. And now you start all over again from the same spot, maybe mm. a worse spot. Cause it happened for the second time. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it was worse. <laughs> um, definitely worse. Cause just, um, I had to go through a surgery to remove the mush ball that was supposed to be my ACL. Um, didn't have an ACL for about six months all throughout my first, you know, I had to miss a, obviously a season of football. So all throughout my sophomore sophomore uh fall semester i had no acl in my knee so that sucked um and then had to get a surgery at, um you know the final surgery to get my graft in so you know basically just lost a year of you know my life athletically for for sure so <laughs> when when let me ask you this the other question was were you were you injury prone before the the first acl tear have no, you ever had surgery no, before that? Uh, never, never broke a bone. Never, never had surgery before. Um, I, the, the furthest I've been injured, I, I like bruised my my quad during my senior year of high school. That's that's about it. Like nothing, nothing crazy at all. And and this, I'd say, of all of the things in my time of advanced training, this was for me. Not this is about me at all, but this was my personal hardest time. Because I never, I always took a lot of pride in our guys not getting hurt when they played and then not getting hurt on my watch. And I remember when this happened at Bloomingdale, I was completely devastated. We got the group together. We did like everybody took a knee and we prayed because a lot of the guys were from St. Joseph by the Sea, you know, Catholic high school. Uh, and, and we were all broken up because we saw it live. And obviously, you worked so hard to recover from the first go round. So it was almost like when this happened, it was like, all right, when this kid gets back, we are going to make a concerted effort to have him go back full bore and dominate, which he ended up doing, at least from a tough man perspective in 2011. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember, yeah, I remember how, you know, shake up you were, uh, obviously there's nothing of you're doing. Um, yeah, you, you did it. You, you're probably even more cautious than, than anyone for, for me coming back from that injury. Um, but yeah, it was, 
totally medically. And then even then I was still cleared to do anything at that point. Um, so it was really just a bad string of luck um, with that, that first surgery. So what gave you the will after the second injury to say, I'm coming back, I'm doing this, I'm going to play football again? Uh, honestly, like, yeah, so I, don't, I, I, I always have this, sh- like a little shaky of a memory from, from back then, but, um, I remember, um, my dad just kind of giving me a little dose of like tough love. Um, initially a- after it, I was just kind of like, really, I was like, you know, I was a mess. I was just mopey and I was done. And then he was just like, basically never, ever even mentioned the, the possibility of me stop playing football or, you know, this like ending my career of doing anything. Um, and he was just like, like, what are you doing? Like, we're, we're going to see, yeah, we're going to the doctor tomorrow. We'll get it fixed. It's fine. You're not, you're not quitting. You're not doing anything. And I was like, all right, <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess not. Uh, so yeah, he did his due diligence and, and got me a really good doctor in the city. Um, and yeah, I just kind of, I guess it started there. And then from then on, um, as I'm coming back, you know, it's at first started though, after that first ACL where guys would, you know, talk to some guys and they'd be like, Oh, you tore your ACL. That's, that's awful. Like, you know, you know, honestly, if that happened to me, like guys on my football team, like I would, I would stop. I wouldn't play. And so like just hearing that for my rehab, my comeback, it just kind of like drove, drove me a little bit. Um, and then especially after the, you know, after all of that and coming back the second time, it was just like a huge chip in my shoulder that just thinking like, you know, not everyone would be coming back from this. Not not everyone would, would go through all this and, and keep coming, keep fighting. And I was just took that, that I'm not going to stop. Like, I'm just going to – I get through this. I get better. Um, so, yeah, really just motivated by people doubting me, um, people just saying, you know, I'm crazy, stuff like that. And I just – why not? Why, why can't I come back from this? I'm thinking uh, we had Eric Legrand come in and talk to our football team this summer. And, and he had a, a similar, obviously a very different story than you, but a similar family situation where his mom was the one who was like, no, you're, you're getting better. And he had told us a story even as a kid that he wanted to quit football and his mom dragged him back to the field and said, nope, you're practicing. So I, I, it is awesome that your dad was the guy who gave you the tough love and didn't even give you an option. Like, nope, you're, this, you're not quitting. You're playing football. Yeah, I don't think the cure never it came up ever with him. So now let's, let's go back to advanced training stuff. Challenge 2009, you go one and one. Challenge 2010, similar to the turnaround you make with the tough man, where the tough man, you came in dead last, and then you come in third the next year. Now, challenge 2009, you go one and one. Challenge 2010, you go seven and one, and you win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What made you so much better? Like, how did you become challenge champ in 2010? I mean, it's that, that chip on your shoulder, man. Like, uh, basically, I, I've i been through what, a year and a half of just straight up hell for me, uh, not being able to do anything, uh, you know, full full activity. Like, at the time, I was lifting up for body, and I got pretty jacked up just from having to lift up for body. So, like, it definitely helped get stronger up top because of that. But uh, mentally, I was like, I just went through a year and a half of, of hell. Like, I – what what's you know what's a push-up hold like you know i, I could outlast this guy in a push-up hold like it just it just this pain is temporary i just went through way worse pain for this comeback like for the challenge it's all about just mental aspect it's all about just you know it's just lasting longer than the other guy right in front of you so that really just kind of 
was right up my alley for, for that at that point in time. Like I just was mentally strong. You know, maybe my body wasn't as strong as it, as it could be at the time that, you know, going into the tough man, that's where it kind of fell apart. But for the challenge, it's one, one V one, you're doing like a body weight hold, you know, it's th that kind of stuff. And the, the mental toughness from everything I've been through just really helped me thrive right there. And you didn't beat a bunch of punks. You, yeah. I'm gonna, you went on a tear at the very end of the summer. You beat Mike Morano, legend. You beat Beast. Billy Blanco, legend. Beast. Beast. You beat Dob Martell, who has a, a like one of the most viewed videos ever of a barbell hold in, in uh, advanced training history. You beat Drew Olson, who is the only person that you had actually lost to that entire year. And, the, and Drew is a, a, a tough man champ. Beast. And then you beat uh, Heedles, another complete and total freak. So that, that's five wins in a row to, to end up end out the summer. And we didn't even mention that you were the only person ever in advanced training history to beat Frank Torres in a challenge. Wow. I did not know that. And I have to ask this because I know he'll probably ask me to ask you this. Is that <laughs> your biggest accomplishment in life is to have beaten him at the in a challenge? Be the only man to have beat him in a challenge. I mean, after hearing his podcast and you know, talking about this this legend of Frank Torres <laughs> and hearing some backstory. I was trash talking the fact that none of that got through to me at the time. And I'm the only one to do that. That's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. I, I'd say. Yes. And it may be enough to get him out of retirement on Thanksgiving <laughs> morning. I, I keep doing these shameless plugs, but uh, he's supposed to be on my team on Thanksgiving morning. And he told us that he was and wasn't coming at the same time in his last podcast. So Frank, the one man that actually beat you is showing up and he's on another team. Come back and redeem yourself, man. I think he's going to show. I think he's going to show now. Now, I heard, and I, I don't really follow anything outside of advanced training, but that you became some sort of a CrossFit legend on Staten Island after you <laughs> left advanced training. Is this true? Uh, yeah, may, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't say legend, but you know, I do well uh, in some CrossFit workouts. Um, yeah, I pretty, pretty excel, excel over there. Did advanced training – did it, is it anything like CrossFit? Did it help you in any way, like, or was it completely and totally different? No, it, it definitely did. Um, for I mean, in different aspects too. Like, so I'd say the first first thing that pops to mind is that you know we used to do these like five minutes of pain with you, um, kind of like a burnout finisher to the workout, um, and where you know you'd be going back and forth between two two exercises, like a couplet, and at the end of it, I was just like dying on the bench you know laying down like my heart's racing thinking like contemplating what i'm doing in my life uh, <laughs> those kind of, those kind of workouts we used to do with, with you um and so basically that's like my first i guess dip into a, a metcon a you know metabolic conditioning um where you're basically going all out for you know a certain period of time trying to get as many reps as you can you know, or, or just like you know it's just kind of like that kind of cardio with uh you know we would do it with bands or we would do it with like a you know pistol squats with a with a, like a, a gripper or something like that um so that did you know carry over to um you know doing a metcon um in other respect too is that um we would do a lot of single arm single leg stuff with you and you know overhead movements like overhead squats and that stuff really carried over to crossfit where um i'm doing i've been already been trained to this stuff um you know big background very good technique that you, you showed us how to do it um and i go to you know crossfit I'm, and i'm just you know day one 
doing this stuff and people are like how does he know how to do this stuff like what's going on here and like you know doing like a single arm you know squat lunge stuff like that where i already have this this uh you know foundation there so i just was able to get better at it as opposed to actually learning it um you know i remember the first you know the first workout we had there me and my brother show up and um it's it's got bear complexes in there and and at the time i don't know if you know that but it's, it's like a power clean it's a it's a front squat a, a jerk on your back you back squat it and you jerk it up again and that's like one rep and we go in there you know and it's like kind of like yeah we, we do that stuff um so we just go there and we immediately just do the weight at 185 and we just throw it up and and people are just like who are these guys like, what are they, <laughs> how are they, who are these they freaks do? yeah like so he's kind of like turn some heads just showing up day one you know do all this, these movements and you know look good doing it so were you really good at uh I, I know that you guys had thrown some jogs in the middle of those workouts were you uh, like was a long distance running a strength of yours or no uh it definitely wasn't um but i you know eventually just kind of got really good at it i just i, I guess i have a, a runner's body type or a sprinter's body type where i as more I did, I was like, I'm pretty fast. I'm pretty good at running. So it kind of just came uh, pretty naturally through time. Um, yeah, it just kind of, you know, just came to me after a while. Now, what type of training are you doing now, now that you're a, an old washed up meathead like me? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still CrossFitting. I'm at uh, CrossFit Sunset Park. Uh, you know, I work out there and I'm, I'm part-time coaching there too. That is awesome. So you are a part-time CrossFit coach. Yes. Man. Well done, my friend. Not that I like CrossFit, but I just <laughs> love that you are educating other people, and I know that you're doing it in the right way. Do Part of my that. issues that not, again, not have I haven't done CrossFit, but it's seeing things where people aren't coached up right, not the, not doing the right technique. They're in high volume doing a, I don't know, say a snatch or something, and doing it all wrong, possibly hurt themselves. But having a guy like you coaching them up makes me feel that the situation is being run well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <clears throat> also, I just want to say that. Uh, another way that you, you know your programming helped is that uh, they had this competition in the Meadowlands. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a year into me me crossfitting, and um, you know I, I teamed up my brother and Tom Ohm, uh, one of my best friends, um, and you know three former football players. You know, you've you've coached all of us, um, and you know we go through these workouts, and they're kind of more uh, like odd object carrying, like you know those sandbag. Uh, runs in there overhead uh, lunges and you know these guys have been crossing for a long time we just go there and we just like dominated everyone in our gym with these movements because we just like are used to doing them uh, so it definitely helped it, it, you know just doing the movements that you've showed us uh, you know you know sled pushes everything like that it really carried over to excelling over there now, now what made you like it enough or what made you get that coaching bug um you know, I, I was good at it, uh, and I feel like I like to just motivate people and, and just make them them better. Like, you know, I, I would I'd be coaching, you know, you know, giving tips like as I'm working out. Uh, you know, after I finish workout, like I actually like, you know, like for overhead movement, like try to critique them a little bit, just make them a little better, you know, more efficient and safer. I was like, why not just do this, you know, and when I have time, we'll just just do that, you know, to actually help these guys and and motivate them that other people have done for me. That's great. And it's like a, you get that bug and then it's so hard to let it go. It just becomes a, it becomes a massive part of who you are as a person. I know it's true. And I, I definitely, 
yeah, I could see how that have you did that with the training and also coaching football. And I feel like I would, if I ever coach football, it would, it'd, be, it'd be done. Like I, <laughs> I'd be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad this is on uh, on radio or whatever you want to call it. It's on, it's on audio being recorded because I, I may have to play this back for you at some point if I, I need you in the future. All right. All right. <laughs> we're we're going to go to some uh, rapid fire questions. So All right. when, when you think of advanced training, and I know it was many moons ago that you were still in the program. What is the one word that pops into your head? Um, so, yeah, I know you've asked this to a few guys. I know my brother gave a great one uh, for accountability. Uh, and I definitely agree with that one too. But uh, for me, I would say uh, dedication. Um, dedication. Because, you know, back when I was doing advanced training, I was, you know, one of the, the summer guys, you know, come back from college, train with you, uh, just to, you know, keep me in check, get stronger, get my conditioning down, and go back to school. So for me, it was basically dedicating my summer to, to, doing, to doing that exactly, to showing up at, you know, waking up at 4.30 in the morning, showing up at 5 o'clock when, when it's, you know, in summer, but it was still, still kind of like cold in the morning then. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just you're tired, you like, can't go out the night before, Your friends are playing video games, nah, I gotta, I gotta wake up for a 5 o'clock workout, you know, when I'm off for the summer. It just kind of, you just dedicated to your, your craft, to the guys around you, to just getting better and, and training for something a little bigger than yourself. Now, do you, in your, the way you're training now, are you still getting up super early or are you training at a, a normal hour? <laughs> I could if I, if I had to. Uh, you know, they got the 5.30 a.m. class. I could if I wanted to go there. Uh, you know, I got stuff going on in, in the day, and that's when I'm really feeling motivated. I'll do that if, if I know I can't get in later. But now, you know, I, I got a – I got a firefighter schedule, so I like to kind of on my days off sleep and then just go go when I have to. I got I got a key to the gym, so I can work out whenever I want. <laughs> so if if you were king of the world, what is the one thing that you would change about advanced training? All right. Um, so you know when we when I worked out with you guys, um, you know it was kind of it was I guess it was cute that we would go down to this basement gym and you know very grungy and just you know just old school training and whatnot um and that was fine and, and you know it's, it definitely had its little uh little vibe to it but i think i think you could get a, a legit like state-of-the-art gym you know throw a throw a field in there so you could just prowler push whenever the hell you wanted uh you know as a burnout to the workout and just have everyone there at using whatever equipment you, you, we needed uh so if we could you know from the early days of just being in that, that kind of gross gym to like state-of-the-art gym, that would be the change I could do. Yeah, Pat Brennan would say uh, maybe upgrade to one that actually has toilet paper. <laughs> never, never had a use that, so thankfully. Yeah, he's like, I'm trying to blow my nose. I'm paying whatever money a month, and there's no toilet paper in the in the bathroom. I'm like, all right, I can't I can't help you with that, man. But the- I mean, we're paying like it was it was cheap there. <laughs> so if you had a vote. What would be one thing you wouldn't change? Uh, wouldn't change. So I would definitely not change um, how selective you are of the athletes you train, um, the type of guys that you want to have with you in the program, because that just sets the tone for, for everything, for, for the, you know, putting the right group of guys together. Um, you know, I, I listen to, to, you know, the Frank Torres uh you know, podcast and I, I think it's great that you kicked him out like a hundred times because uh, he wasn't showing up like 
yeah, you can't have that. Uh, so I like that you kept the standard um, and you, you kept that throughout. And if the guy wasn't showing up, if he just didn't, you know, didn't work out, you weren't just be like, oh, yeah, come in, whatever, it's fine. You didn't want to put like your, you know, George Mahoney stamp on an athlete just for the hell of it. You, you wanted actual guys who buy into the program, buy into just getting better. And it's, it's interesting, too, because there are guys – and there's a lot of revisionist history at advanced training. Uh, <laughs> one of the revisionist pieces of history is that, you know, it was always harder when they went and it, than it is now, that it's, it's softer now. That's, that's uh, absolutely true. It was so hard when I was there. But. there there's history that uh, I've never thrown anyone out or that I've thrown people <laughs> out. And, and the, at least the reality in my mind is there are a couple of people that I've thrown out, not a lot. But most of the people that have gone are people that they've thrown themselves out. They couldn't right. hang with the environment that we had. Now, my rule to you guys was don't bring me anybody that's not going to fit in with this program. Like it was never, we never really advertised and say, we'll just take anybody or we're going to start training people that aren't in our culture. But a lot of it is, was really on you guys only bringing people in that you thought would fit into the culture. So we didn't have a lot of people that we had to throw out. Frank Torres, yes, was, was one of those people <laughs> for, for many reasons, as you probably heard in the podcast. But, you, yeah, I, I loved – and what I really loved was when you guys went to college and said you had a guy on your team, hey, this guy would fit in with us. All right, now we had – that's when the thing started to really grow was when you started right. to bring guys in from your college football programs to come back. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm going to – I want to skip one of these questions that we said we were going to talk about. We'll come back to it. Uh, I want to go to, so now you're a coach, right? You, you are, I can rib you for this one if you did it. What's the worst training advice that you ever gave that you now know was wrong? Um, yeah, I guess, so I'm different now than I, I was when I feel like this advice was going around. But um, especially, you know, to your, to your hesitation with CrossFit, the early days of CrossFit were just nuts, honestly, like just uh, balls to the wall every day, giving a hundred percent. And I definitely, you know, um, bought into that where I just had to go hard every single day and, and no, no rest days, no, you know, uh, just tailing, tearing off a little bit, uh, just kind of give your body a rest. So I did, you know, to my fault, I did think that way where I just had to go so hard. Um, and now, I know that your, your body does need rest. You need to, you know, you need mobility, you need recovery. You need some, you know, waver off a little bit, you know, even those days where you're not just pushing your, 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 your muscles, your nervous system to like the brink every day. Um, yeah. So I mean, I paid a price sometimes because, you know, a few years ago I was digging that way, but um, now you know, I definitely see like the, the error of those ways. You sounded like a coach, man. Again, <laughs> this, this thing is being recorded when I need to call on you. So, uh, if you could pick, if we had, if say we were going to have an absolute tag team challenge, and you have to pick a partner, who would it be? Tag team, picking Rob, my brother. That that one's easy. Um, we just, you know, just complement each other well. Um, just, I feel like we always just would be able to move forward in a in an obstacle or in a in a competition just because we we feed off each other's uh, weaknesses or just like how we're each other we're feeling so like we just kind of on the same page a lot yeah that, that would be easy i feel like we would do well at, at anything do you think uh this rob is going to show up on thanksgiving morning 
<laughs> I don't know. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I think he, I think he will try his best to be there, but um, I, I can't make any promises. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him, um, you know, in the next couple of days, trying to get on the call. Please do. We, we, we need him. So who would you, uh, if you had to go head to head with another tag team group, who would you want to go against? I mean, we had some, some, you know, savages back, back when I was there that I just loved to compete with, you know, these guys I, I played football with. Um, so I love just seeing them there and, you know, competing with them day to day. Um, yeah. And just some of the, the coolest, fun, fun, uh, you know, funniest guys I've, I've been around. So uh, I'll take any of them, like, you know, the Teddy Colhessis, the Billy Blancos, Moran, all those all just beasts. Um, I, I would love to just go against them all the time or, you know, team up with them as I'm planning on doing next week. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is going to happen, this is a spoiler alert. And uh, for John Goldman, this is a spoiler alert, alert. I'm saying it the exact opposite way. Maybe I'm saying it the wrong way. I don't know. But it looks like that you will be on a team with the guys who were on that 2009 St. Joseph by the Sea team, which would be Morano, Blanco, Baraji, Amorosi. You would be in that crew with them. Which which I, I love, honestly. Because, again, I, would, I love competing against them, but probably even better being on, on the same squad as them and going against some of these you know, these other guys that have been talked up or, you know, just think they, they own, own a vast trade. But they don't know. Yeah, there was a, a little bit of a controversy at our first annual Thanksgiving event. There was a, a certain someone, I won't mention his name, calling out all of the legends of advanced <laughs> training and then did not show up that morning. Did not show up. No, if I remember, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he, he will be there this year with a squad of duded out guys. Legitimately do it out, guys. I want to see, all right? And right now, they, they are ranked. Uh, they are the favorites to win the whole thing. All right, I got odds on it. Okay. <laughs> which is why I need this Rob Mulligan to come out of retirement because he's supposed to be on my team, which they're calling the, the team of misfit toys. So how, how many teams are there total? There should be four teams. There's about okay. 24 people coming. Where we should have four teams of six. And uh, Rob should be on my team if he comes. Rob, if you're listening, let's go, man. We need you. <laughs> All right. So a question for you is when you think of success at advanced training, who comes to mind? <sighs> I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think <laughs> – I mean, I, I think you did a really good job – honestly training me um from if you just look at those those numbers um that you gave from from dead last in one event to coming back and and dominating the next uh strong man so i think you did a really good job just training me throughout my years there um for other guys i mean you could really pick anyone uh you, you just see progress from from basically anyone and and they just come in you know out of high school or, or whatnot and when they start and when they leave, they're a completely different athlete and diligent person. Uh, so, yeah, advanced training, it works, man. I'm thinking, looking at your numbers, like your PowerPoint numbers. Uh, let's just talk about your, your first year. You came in squatting 325 and left squatting 400. And that was in like a couple of months. That's, that's insane. That's yeah. insane gains. Putting you know, <laughs> good 75 way. pounds on your squat max. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. You and you, you know, you practice what you preach, and it, and it worked, man. So, what? And this is the the question I had skipped before. 
and I, I think I know the answer, but I could be wrong. I'll, I'll let you answer it. What failure in your life, inside or outside of training, actually led to a huge success? I mean, there's a lot. Honestly, there's a lot. And I could go the route with, you know, talking about my knee injury, uh, you know, how I came back from that. But I, I think I want to talk about uh, for that. I'll go back even further and just talk about um, basically in high school, um, I was a two-sport athlete and I came in high school like really like I was small. I was, I was, I was weak. I was small. But I was, you know, buck 25, like soaking wet um, in high school. Um, and I was playing baseball. I was playing football and, and playing football. I was learning football. I just, I just, first time I, I played it, um, I wasn't even a fan, but um, you know, Rob actually, obviously like made me come in and play football. Uh, you know, it was not my choice. It was just same with my dad. It was just like, yeah, you're, you're, you're going, you're playing football. Um, but so I was a two sport athlete. I was playing baseball and football and, um i think it was my sophomore year um we're trying out for i was trying no it's freshman year we're trying out for uh jv jv uh baseball and it was in like in the winter for some reason it was like in it was like in the first semester but in the winter and it was cold i remember and i'm trying out to be a pitcher and you know i i I was pretty good pitcher at the time i feel like i would have been very successful pitching for st joseph by the city uh, but we're doing tryouts and I start throwing and then all of a sudden my, my elbow like goes numb. I just, I, I was like, what's going on? Like just crazy elbow pain. And I remember just being like, I couldn't even, after I was done with that pitching session, couldn't even like grab my bag to, to walk home, uh, to walk, you know, go home with it. Um, so basically at that point I was like, well, I just, you know, like I, I, I've only threw a few pitches. They don't even know me. And then basically if you don't do a good at the winter one, you really have to like crush in the summer one, uh, the spring one in order to make this team. So at that point I was like, all right, I guess I'm just playing football now. Um, so at that point I just was focused on playing football. Um, but also I remember, you know, then I wasn't very big. I wasn't strong. Um, and so I had a lot of work to do. And I remember just being in one of the off season workouts uh, at C and this might've been, you know, a few months later, I don't know, it could have been my sophomore or freshman year. And we were doing a uh, weightlifting, like kind of circuit where uh, Coach Mouse would put one group of guys over there, another group of guys over here. And I remember he put me in his group and it was like three of us. And like two other guys, like honestly, like have no business playing football, like at all. And so I'm in this group with these two guys, like, and just like lifting certain weights. And I remember just like look, seeing that and just thinking like, Nah, like this can't. This no, nah, this this is not gonna work. Um, I got I gotta I gotta put some work in right now. Um, Did he pair you with people that he thought were yeah like a similar like, status? Yeah, like similar like I guess strength levels or whatnot. Um, you know, because I was I was weak at the time. Like I and I, you know, so I you know I I would also say I'm a, I was a late bloomer, <laughs> so it helped as I got older that I just kind of grew into like an athlete. But at the time, I remember just seeing the guys I was, I was with, and I was like, "All right, like <laughs> it's time to go." Like so, I remember just from that point on, just just like busting my ass and and just getting bigger. And I ended up, you know, I was 125. I came in, and I was like 190 when I left. Just kind of gaining weight and just, just being you know, growing to an athlete. So that kind of just motivated me right there. Like you know, I failed at the baseball. I had to go to football. I need to put some work in here. So take me because this is like a. a- it's almost like a life turning point. Take me through that <laughs> mindset again. 
Coach Manos puts you in a group with two other guys that you think don't don't have any business playing football. What like, look, exactly? looking back on it, I, I, like they don't like that's kind of what I'm saying. Like at the time, maybe I didn't know that, but you know, looking back, like all right, these are these are the kind of guys that I'm kind of like grouped with right now. Um, so you know, it's it's kind of like all right, I I, I got a long way to go for where I need to be in order in order to just and you know I'm not even thinking about like you know, being a, an all-star at this point. I'm just thinking about just being like an, an athlete on the field, but like just to be like respectable, like a respectable player. Um, so yeah, really just, that was kind of like the turning point where I just, just busted my ass, uh, you know, ate everything, <laughs> just got bigger. And then I guess puberty kind of helped me out where I just grew a few inches um, and just weight just kind of gained on the strength came and just got more and more athletic as time went on. Now, when you were a freshman at sea, were you a tight end or you, you became a tight end later on? I was not a tight end. I was, uh, you know, a defensive back, uh, you know, scrawny little guy, like 125 pounds. So I go from a, a DB, just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of where they, they put me and like people kind of in that situation. And then throughout the years, yeah, you know, just kind of moved to tight end after a while where, oh, this guy can catch, this guy can run a little bit, oh, he's blocked, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and when you're running that double wing offense, you, there, there's always the reference to we need another Sean Mulligan. We need a guy that can block. We need a guy that can get down the field. We need a guy that can catch. A guy that I don't know. Were you, were you doing it your year that you actually pulled, or were you still cutting off the backside end? No, nah, yeah, we we just cut off. But yeah, uh, yeah, they would always, yeah, I stay, stay humble. But I always, you know, love you know hearing that. Just it was nice that I, I made a, an impact on, on the program like that. Um, you know, just pull, like, you know, blocking down, being able to catch, kind of versatile. And, and that backside block, it's often overlooked because let's just say you're running power away from you. And I, for people who don't know what it is at this point, I don't care. But I'm talking to like the seven people I know we're talking about. <laughs> if they're running power away from you and that, that gap inside of that backside tight end is exposed, you could shoot that gap and make the tackle on the back. Mm-hmm. It's actually like the biggest weak point. I'd equate it to in 300 when all those uh, Spartans are in that little valley and they tell somebody to go through that goat trail behind them, it's the same thing. Like you're it's impenetrable unless you go through that backside gap. So it is a really critical block that you made a lot and yeah, it really helped that team have some extreme success. Vital, just dirty work that no one will ever see, ever see, but you just, it has to get done. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the player I was just, just I had to get that block every time, no matter if it, you're on the front part of the play, you're not going to get the glory for it, but you got to, you got to make it. Now, how did that, did that mentality impact the way you live your life? Like as a, you're a grown man now, is that type of thing still going through your head? Yeah, for sure. Um, just kind of, you know, I've always just been kind of the, you know, grab the lunch pail, put the hard hat on kind of guy, just, just doing what you're supposed to do doing your job and, you know, not making a big fuss about it, not, you know, just doing your part. Uh, you know, I'm not, you have a lot of talkers at, at advanced trading, like legendary talkers. And I just kind of put my work in, um, put my work in, you know, just as best as I could, um, you know, try to, trying to be a beast. And then that's it. Like, I let my kind of walk, work, uh, talk for itself. Um, so yeah, I do that now. Like I'm not going to go around like talking that much, but, stuff needs to get done i'm, I'm going to do it and i'm going to do it the best i can and you're making a really good point because i'm thinking that for the people that listen to this who are in advanced training 
this might be the most they've ever heard you spoke in <laughs> all of the years of our training. That's probably that's probably true. So you you weren't a trash talker. Uh, Rob wasn't a trash talker, but I know that he talked more than you did. But I I felt like you really never said much. You literally just went to work, kicked butt, and then left. That was it. There was no trash talking at all. Yeah, it's just you know, uh, you know, speak speak soft, softly, carry a big stick kind of thing. That's what like the college coach would say, uh, and Manos would say that too. I'm saying so, just kind of like have that mindset all the time. Coach Manos would say, speak softly and carry a big stick. <laughs> to some guy. I don't know. Probably not him, actually. You're <laughs> <laughs> my coach. Well, what I also love is that I could, you know, a lot of the things that you said, you know, just show up, like little thing, carry your lunch pail. These are things that your high school football coach put in your head. And I don't, I can't remember how many years ago you graduated. It must oh, have yeah. been over 10. Uh, so, and yeah. I mean, 11, 11, 11. It's still years. in your head. It's still yeah. in your head. I love it. Drained. So the last thing I'm going to ask you this is my selfish question that I ask everybody is uh, what book – sorry, wrong one. <laughs> Not that question. What is uh, one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify my life or remove clutter? And this doesn't have to do anything with lifting. It could be in work. It could be whatever you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, awesome question. Um, tough, tough one to answer. Um, but you know, I, I would say – kind of prioritize what's important to you, um, what you're passionate about, what you enjoy doing, and just make a concerted effort to always have that going on in your life. Um, and just kind of, you know, if that's surrounding yourself with, with like-minded people or and like, you know, and when it comes to your, your hobbies, stuff like that, people that, you know, you actually enjoy being around um, and, you know, you like working out, make sure you get that in there. Um, if you like, you like reading, make sure you do it. And just kind of like, block hey, if you could block out the noise um just focus on what you feel like is important in your life and just do it like just unabashedly you know ha- you know do it have fun that's kind of like what i try to do i feel like I, I need to do that more too maybe uh you know it probably will help relieve stress or whatnot and make your you know body feel better but yeah it's, that's the best i could offer i guess that that's a that's not that, that's a really that's really good advice and I'm going to give a book plug right now. There's a, a really good book called The One Thing. And the premise of the book it essentially says is, what is the one thing that I could do that makes everything else easier or insignificant? So I, I love that you're saying, like, focus on that thing. Make it, make it the priority. And maybe it is working out. You know, Maybe that, that one thing gives you a little pep in your step at work or makes you yeah. feel more confident when you're standing in front of your girlfriend or your wife. Or you're standing exactly. in front of yeah. a, at a meeting room. So I, I like that advice. That, that's really good advice. And it, it, people don't seem to prioritize the one thing. They, quote, unquote, prioritize too many things, and they never get to the thing that they really like. And, I, and one thing that that book talks about is that the word priority, in essence, really means one thing. So you can't have two priorities. It's got to be <laughs> one thing. It's very true. All right. We came up on the hour. Uh, I'm going to finish this up with uh, one thought. Just I want to re- re- reconfirm your biggest accomplishment in life is beating Frank Torres in the challenge. Is that correct? <laughs> you, you, can, you can put that down. All That's right. <laughs> and the other thing is you are going to get your brother out of retirement, and he's coming back this Thanksgiving, which is about a week away, to help bail out the team of Misfit Toys on our journey against this uh, 2019. Rob, you heard the man. He needs you. So – Let's make it happen. 
Let's go, Rob. I'm an old man. I need help. <laughs> All right, brother. This was awesome. Thank you so much. I will see you on Thanksgiving morning. And like I said, be ready for uh, you to come out of retirement into the coaching world when I come knocking at your door. That sounds awesome, man. Uh, it was great chatting with you, Coach. Uh, it's always a pleasure. All right. I'll see you in a week, man. See you in a yes, week. Sir. Great job. See you. see you then. Thank you. Thank you.